HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Wisetail. Ever wonder how winning brands like Shake Shack, Chopped, and Torchy's Tacos scale their business and train employees, all while delivering an exceptional customer experience? They do it with Wisetail. Learn more at wisetail.com. This week on Meet and 3, we bring you a sensational episode where each story hones in on one of the four senses that accompanies taste. Many of the smells that we uh, encounter in everyday life actually exist out there in the cosmos. Food carries all these culturally specific meanings. The fact that, you know, when you see an apple, it's not just an apple, right? I was mostly interested in thinking about what knobs ASMR was pulling on, maybe, or how we could explain it from a psychological or emotional or evolutionary standpoint. Tune in to Meet and 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you listen to podcasts. Last weekend, we chatted with Chef Lonnie Holiday about the branding exercise and finances behind participating in pop-ups. And this week, we are going one step further, and we're going to talk about what it actually takes to parlay a successful pop-up into a permanent home. Um, because sometimes it's worth just taking that less traditional path. So our guests today are doing just that. We have Patricia Howard and Ed, who have been operating Dame, which is a small English restaurant. It's a long-term pop-up in the West Village um, for the past several months. And they're currently working on finding a permanent home, hopefully next spring, which I'm sure we'll get to hear about. They met working at the B and have been working in restaurants ever since. And that's where we actually met Patricia. So I'm excited to uh, delve into this combo with you guys since I've known you for a while. And I know you're both opening soon listeners. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having us. So excited to have you here. So you guys have been serving up fish and chips and all sorts of delicious English fare um, in the West Village for a few months now. Tell us how that's been going. It's been going well. It's um, it was a definitely a COVID era pivot. Um, we were planning on doing something a little more formal with our you know first pop up series in March, and you know we spent actually the rest of March, April, and May and shut down like everyone else in the city. And then when we started going out and walking the streets a little bit, um, sort of end of end of May, start of June time, it certainly seemed like the environment was for something more casual and accessible. And 
what's more English and casual and accessible than fish and chips. So we figured, you know, we we might might as well spend our summer doing this. And, you know, we incorporated the, the charitable aspect into it to give back to our community too. Whilst, you know, we had the, you know, the space and the ability to do these pop-ups. Um, and then also, you know, it's... Uh, you mentioned uh, Lani was on the show last week. She actually did a, a guest chef pop-up here um, a few weeks ago too. So we've been having mini pop-ups within pop-ups here and just using the the spaces in as many ways as we can this summer to make, you know, make something out of nothing. So originally you guys were, so the ultimate goal for Dame has always been a permanent full service restaurant. Is that correct? Yes. But and you would always plan to start off as pop-ups, though. Is that is that also correct? Yeah, we decided pretty early on. Once we started writing our business plan, it became less and less appealing to keep going to our other day jobs. Um, and we were excited to get started on our own project. One of the quickest ways we could see doing that was taking over someone else's space in the hours they weren't using it or the months they weren't using it. So we started off in a coffee shop on the Lower East Side called Round K because we knew they had a beer and wine license and they're a coffee shop, so their main hours are in the morning. Um, so we took over at night a few days a week on the like the off days, the non-weekend days, um, and just came in and did a, 10 seats at a, the coffee counter and serving Ed's food on a little charcoal grill. Um, and that was just our, our way to reach investors, to get our name out there, to invite press, to come see what our future plans hold, um, and to start people you know, getting excited about Dame and what Dame could be one day. And that was going really well, but we only got to do 10 days of service before COVID shut us down. Um, so the pop-up's definitely a great way to to do all of that, um, to really, we've broadened our social media reach. We've been in a lot of articles and the plan was to reach investors, but our main investor dinners got shut down the week that the whole city closed, the whole world closed. Um, so like Ed said, once we got our act back together again in June to reopen, we had that, those same goals in mind of, you know, how can we keep Dame going even though, everything is shut down. How can we pivot our concept to still be um, in the English vein, but more COVID friendly, takeout friendly, outdoor seating friendly. Um, so we came up with the fish and chips, Dame Summer Club or casual concept. So that's, that's really, this is, that's very interesting. I think you actually are the first guest that we've ever had on the show who started the business plan as a pop-up intentionally to find investors, which I think is actually a really smart way to go about it because you get to test for like limited risk. So, and it seems like things actually sort of worked out in your favor because you could only have 10 people through the door at Round K five nights a week, it sounds like, or at the Fish and Chips at the Summer Club, you can have, I'm sure your capacity is much greater. True. Yeah. Well, we designed it that way too. It's we wanted something that we could run just the two of us. That's why we picked a small coffee shop with only ten seats. Um, and the outdoor dining, same deal. You know, something that just the two of us could run. But because the format's a little more casual, we can have a few more seats, and we don't. Not everything's so plated. 
how did like, what was the investment to get both of these things up and going? Right. Cause you're basically like, you're, you, you guys basically are doing like, you've actually had two different pop-up businesses that are going to be parlayed into like a full brick and mortar full service business. So it's just interesting. So I'm curious how that worked out because you essentially yeah. started two businesses to get to the third one, which I think is great. It's just, it's super interesting. Right. And I mean, that's the crux of how we view restaurants differently from, you know, perhaps others is that, you know, you can go around and raise half a million to a million dollars and find a chef and a general manager and, you know, put a group of investors together and then spend six months building out a restaurant or a year and open and you're in the hole for a bunch of capital and you have, you know, unless you have opened restaurants before or have, you know, your management team has, you have very little, you know, evidence to go on that it's going to be successful. I mean, anyone can, you know, write a business plan and put some numbers in with their revenue estimates, but until you actually do it, you know, you have no, no one has any idea whether it's going to make sense, us included. And I think we realized that pretty early on that, you know, the, the only real way to test whether Dame was going to become a, would, would make sense as a, as a real restaurant would be to, to do it. And it's, you know, it's, it's really not that hard to do these pop-ups. It's, it takes, you know, some, some contacts and some creative thinking of the spaces that you can use and how you can go into them. But I think financial wise, it cost us, you know, a few thousand dollars to get each of them up and running, but not more than that. Like the amount that you can finance from personal savings. And if, as long as you keep the expenses low, like we talk about this every day, like not spending money that we don't have. Like I, I would love to have opened the first pop-up with a 50 bottle wine list of fancy stuff, but you know, we couldn't afford that. So we didn't do it. Um, and when we sold the wine we had, we bought a little bit more the next time. And then we sold that and we bought a little bit more the third time. And now we have more of a wine list. Um, and, you know, I think if you apply that philosophy to, you know, every part of the restaurant, like we start with 10 seats, you know, you can make a lot more money with 50 seats, but you also have a much higher cost because you need staff members. We did everything ourselves. And then when it was busy enough that we needed to hire someone else, then we hired someone else. You know, we sort of use that with everything with, we run out of food a lot. Like I hate running out of food, but we do it because we can't afford to throw away $500 of fish a night. Um, so we order, you know, on the conservative side and when we sell it all out and then the next week we order a little bit more. Um, and I think that, that cause the, you know, how, at least how we could run these pop-ups and have them be somewhat, you know, successful and not be in the hole for a lot of money. So that now I think we will go into our real restaurant opening with the confidence that we've been able to build this customer base, but also test our, test our concept and show its profitability. For sure. I mean, it's called bootstrapping and when and we did it, we did it too for our business till it. And like one thing you learn about bootstrapping is you can't spend money that you don't have and you have to be profitable. Like I remember when we first started the company and people were like, what's your runway? I'm like, runway, what fucking runway? Like zero, <laughs> we lose money. We go out of business. We're not funded. So I think it's a totally different mentality that I think is like a really important way to talk about, you know, starting a business yeah if you look at the last like major financial crisis that affected restaurants like in 2008 2009 the restaurants that were born out of that started as pop-ups too it's, i don't think it's a coincidence that financial hardship leads to people getting creative with their money um and those restaurants are now like you know world famous like i remember in 2012 doing a pop-up with the 
the chef of Lyle's and Lyle's is now like a Michelin star world's 50 best restaurant, but he was cooking in the, you know, back of a alleyway in London. Um, cause that's what people had to do. And I think we're just, you know, hopefully trying to do the same thing. Yeah. And James also was pretty famous for popping up with other, like James from, from Lyle's obviously was, was so he went and popped up everywhere too, with like other friends and other chefs. And I, and it's interesting that you guys are also doing that, right. Cause you have this Sunday series. That's like a pop-up within a pop-up as you mentioned. Um, so is that, tell me about why you're adding in and incorporating that piece into it. We we started writing our business plan, I guess, not this past summer, but the summer before. Um, and we had a whole paragraph on how we wanted to do collaborations with other bartenders that were our friends and invite other chefs from around the world. You know, it's staged at some great places and we just have made some wonderful connections through eating out around the country and the world. Um, so we always wanted to invite them to come and do a pop-up at Dame, our permanent restaurant. And then when we opened the summer club this summer, um, so many of our friends were in a similar boat. Like they had started a pop-up or they had plans to open a restaurant this year, but COVID ruined everything. Um, so we had a bunch of different concepts in our group of friends and acquaintances that were on hold. And so we have this space with a great relationship with the woman who owns um, Abigail's Kitchen, where we're currently operating out of, and wanted to put that to use and share with all these other concepts. So we started with um, a friend that Ed's worked with, uh, Alex Panero. He has a restaurant opening in New Jersey called Bodegon. And we, you know, he, he saw what we were doing and said, this is awesome. Like I would love to join you guys or, you know, it, it was always just a very collaborative um, spirit. I think that we shared with everyone who would come eat fish and chips. And so the invitations started going out and anyone who we thought make might make a good use out of the space, um, we hit them up and started spreading the word and saying, you know, if you know of anyone else doing pop-ups or looking for a space or has a project on hold, spread the word. And they got very, very popular very quickly um, to the point that now we don't, we're not the ones sending out the invitations anymore and people are coming to us and so many so that we don't have room on our calendar anymore. <laughs> like we're, we're full and we are already making plans for who should come do pop-ups when we open the permanent space. Um, and our, our reach is getting broader and broader, which is really cool. Uh, it, it helps that we can't order fresh fish on Sundays. So smart. Got um, it. So you guys are really using all your capacity. I mean, it's, that's, it's a smart way to do it, but it, it's grown way bigger than we ever thought. So now, just it's been very strategic also, which we weren't even planning on, but like every chef who comes and does a pop-up here, like they share with their whole network and they get all their friends to come to Dame and they all post about Dame and then all their friends want to come to a pop-up or they want to come try the fish and chips. So it's really fed into it itself nicely um, to spread the word and to keep us like, it's been great for press also. Like every pop-up that comes on Sundays has a, another audience, which has been really cool to spread the word. 
That's awesome. So you, so you're currently in the space that you've been in basically all summer long and then through the end of this month. So how did that relationship come about and are you do how are you like doing the finances of that is it a rev share did you just rent the space is there um and what have you taken away from from that experience so um when last summer and, and fall when we were doing the business plan i was actually cooking in, in tulum at that time and we had thought about doing pop-ups you know i think as far back as last fall for this spring um so we reached out to just basically everyone we know it's like, I mean, I think I've you've heard you talk about this in your show before, like when you're doing this outreach, you just harass, well, I'm not harass is the wrong word, but just send stuff to everyone as often as you can. Be like, who do you know? How can you help me? Um, and you know, 80% of the people are not helpful, but there's a few people who are. So uh, a friend of ours, um, uh, John Winters, who works at Pat LaFrida, um, the meat company, he's good friends with the chef at Dante which is next door to Abigail's Kitchen Space. And so they connected us with Abigail, who runs Abigail's Kitchen. And it was just like such a natural fit. She's so wonderful and such like a kind, generous person. And she hosts pop-ups in the space already. So it wasn't a huge leap um, for her. And, you know, that relationship started, I think, maybe in January. We'd spoke about doing the first pop-up in March here. Um, And it was a little too big. Um, you know, back to the original point, like we would have needed a couple more staff members than we could have afforded to make it work because it's maybe a 25 seat restaurant inside. Um, so we put it on hold and said, maybe we'll come back and see if, if the coffee shop pop up goes well. You know, we'll, we'll do something a little bit bigger. Obviously, COVID derailed everything. Um, and, you know, we had been walking around the West Village and seen, you know, there's there are people around here who are, you know, it seemed obvious that once outdoor dining came around, these people would stay and, you know, drink at the very least drink cocktails from us because Dante was too full. Um, so we sort of came to a revenue share agreement with Abigail. We we pay her 25% of our revenue. Um, and in exchange, we get, you know, use of the space for our pop-up. And are you guys, um, and you're there seven days a week at the, at Abigail's kitchen? Are you? We, when we signed that deal, we thought we were going to be doing like four days a week of takeout. That mm-hmm. was the original plan. Um, and then we kept adding more days as the demand um, was there. So now we're five to six days a week. Um, depending on how many pop-ups we schedule for ourselves, we sometimes take an extra day off. Because but... nobody needs to rest in this climate. Come on. Um, <laughs> and... And is it just the two of you still, or have you hired anybody else to help? I got my friend Dago's helping me out in the kitchen. Um, but other than that, yeah, it's three of us now, small family. We have we have a bunch of other friends who are, you know, part of our eventual restaurant who have been helping out here and there. Because, I mean, I think you came to the pop-up we did in, in Rivertown in Hudson. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, you know, we went up there, and we've done different things around the city too. So Ayla Duncan and Megan, who are, you know, long-term friends of ours, who are all when we finally open the real day and we'll be on the staff, um, they've been helping us out too. But Dago's the only, you know, permanent um, guy besides the two of us. We're it definitely is- at the point though, where we Friday, Saturday, Sundays are too busy for us to do alone at this point. So we're trying to get someone to come help just for the next few weekends. Um, but we're closing up at the end of October. So it's, it's hard to get someone to just come for two to three weeks. Come on, people. That's an open call for anybody who's listening. <laughs> yeah, more friends will 
eventually agree to do it. But <laughs> good, good. And people are like dodging your text messages. They're like, they need help again. Don't answer. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, and it's yeah, and it's I love that you know it's it's still like small, but you guys are are growing and finding your your path. And I love that you're saying the real Dame because this is the real Dame. Version three point. It's so weird to us, like. I I mean, we really appreciate that. And like people come up to us all the time and be like, oh, I'm going to Dame the restaurant. We were on a we were on a resi list the other day. There was like in order of like hot restaurants to go to in October. And it was like Dame and then La Bernadette underneath. <laughs> like, I don't think people really realize that Dame is really just me, Patricia and Dago. There are three of us <laughs> running this restaurant. And it like, you know, we've all been part of the big restaurant staffs that have done like, you know, great things. Um, but it's really like rewarding to do it in such a small scale too. It's like, I don't know. It sort of makes me want to just stay, stay doing this and serve food on paper plates forever. We we're on resi now, like Ed mentioned, and it's crazy to see like people arrive expecting a, the real dame, like, a, you know, real plates, real, wine glasses and we had someone last week who said you know there's three of us this table is much too small and we're like we're a pop-up we never meant to be this busy like we bought these tables on facebook marketplace like so sorry but go somewhere else yeah. if this is not but you enough. realize you're eating in a parking space right now yeah. right <laughs> i mean i think everything is a pop-up restaurant right now and like in some extents like people just like built things as fast as they could because like restaurants have been bleeding money so you know sure. yeah size the table like people are dying it's okay right <laughs> you just gotta so are you worried at all i mean it's interesting like it's awesome that you guys have found all have people have been finding you and that you guys have grown in such popularity are you worried about it being confusing to people when you do move to your permanent home like how are you going to communicate and, and message that i mean yes and no like as long as the product is good and still consists somewhat consistent, like the fish and chips, I genuinely believe is, is very good. And, um, I think we'll still do the fish and chips at the other place. It's just, there's going to be whole grilled crabs and turbots and more crudos and, you know, grilled oysters, like a, a fuller menu. So I, I think in a lot of ways it will just look like an expansion of the current day more than like a pivot. It's not like we're going to go and start cooking like burgers and fried chicken. Mm hmm. But that is definitely part of our motivation to have our open our permanent restaurant very nearby because we don't want to be explaining to people, oh, yeah, we used to be, you know, on McDougal Street, but now you have to go up three blocks and west two more blocks. Like we're, we're trying to stay as close to our current location as possible. So let's um, let's take a quick break and then we're going to come back and talk about Dame 2.0. This episode is brought to you by Wisetail. Ever wonder how winning brands like Shake Shack, Chopped, and Torchy's Tacos scale their business and train employees, all while delivering an exceptional customer experience? They do it with Wisetail. Wisetail is a state-of-the-art learning management system built to engage and empower your workforce. With a modern user interface and intuitive course authoring capabilities, Wisetail has helped hundreds of businesses achieve their growth goals. Plus, Wisetail has experts on call to help you bring your vision to life with their world-class client success team. 
Come see how Wisetail's award-winning training platform can go to work for you. As a special offer, HRN listeners are eligible for their first month free. Learn more at wisetail.com slash HRN. That's wisetail.com slash HRN. W-I-S-E-T-A-I-L dot com slash HRN. Terms and conditions apply. Visit their website for more details. So we're back and um, we're talking all about Dame the pop-up, which they were referring as Dame and then the new version as the real Dame. But I think we should just redub it Dame 2.0. So because they're all like they're all real. Um, So you guys are currently looking for space and Patricia was just saying she wants it to be close by so that consumers and customers and guests are already familiar with what with what's going on. So where are you in in all that process? Um, We're in negotiations on a space very close by. Um, So hopefully that will work out and we'll be able to stay within a few blocks of our current location. Um, Nothing's set in stone yet, so we don't want to jinx it, but hopefully opening next spring, very close to our current spot. So exciting. So one of the reasons you guys did pop up and that was part of your business plan was to get investors and have data and information for them. So how has that worked out? Was that, did it work? Eh. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> um, it's, it's, I think it's a very tough time for anyone, you know, with any sense to be investing in restaurants. Like <laughs> a, <laughs> restaurants are going through a, you know, a unprecedented crisis. So there are a few bullish people who think that like maybe something that opens next summer could have a long run at a below market rent deal. But, you know, in general, it's been, I think the same way that, you know, the, back, goes back to the bootstrapping thing, like go to your friends and your family. And, you know, it really does help that we've can show profitability. And this summer we've been donating a lot of profits to charity, but that's, you know, nearly $20,000 in a three month period that shows to investors that our business plan works and it's not just written down on a piece of paper. So that has helped, but you know, we're, you know, if anyone's listening and wants to invest, uh, we are still looking for investors. We have about half of the money we need raised so far. Um, you know, it's worth pointing out that we want, you know, investors who see eye to eye to us on the, you know, philosophy of the restaurant and the charitable aspect of it. Um, you know, there are, there are certainly the wrong kinds of investors. Um, and we're, you know, lucky that the ones we have so far are people close to us who believe in us and we're looking for more of those. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think in a better economic climate, our, you know, value proposition would be more, um, exciting to investors. But at the moment it's just like, well, why would I invest in a restaurant then when every restaurant around is failing? Mm-hmm. They're not failing. They're being crushed by, uh, <laughs> like, <laughs> they're being crushed by the, um, the circumstances of the, like general state of the world, unfortunately. I mean, that I think that is the struggle. And I, I think it's, you know, there are people who will be bullish on restaurants, as you mentioned, because they will come back. It's just, you know, who knows what it's going to look like and when. But I think like, it, you know, the success of your pop-up shows that people are excited for new things and they are willing to come out for, for an experience. I mean, I think people are just dying for it, is what people, you know, our other guests keep on saying. Um We've definitely had regulars or people who have now become regulars approach us about investing. Just, you know, they'll see a busy Friday night and they say, 
you know, how can I become a part of this? Or I have, you know, would you take $12,000? Like every little bit helps. And we have, that is exciting to hear and to be able to show them actually, yes, we have, you know, our numbers and they look a lot better than we were expecting for a COVID pop-up. So um, that's been, you know, uh, inspiring to, to see at least that people are still interested. People do still have money to give. Um, so have any of those regulars actually turned into investors? No one has signed yet. Talk. <laughs> 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 but I, I think we'll get, you know, we, we're talking to like three regulars right now who seem excited. So hopefully one of them signs and that's, that's pretty big. So you're halfway there through fundraising um, and you're still actively seeking additional, additional investors. What's the plan if you don't get every, like to where you need to be by the time you're ready to sign a lease and whatnot? Uh, I mean, I think we have enough of the money ready to sign the lease. Um, There's, I mean, I think you've talked about this on the show before too. Like there's this catch 22 with investors who are like, well, we're not going to invest unless we see you have a lease. And then they said, well, unless you have, um, you don't have enough money to sign a lease, so we can't invest. Um, mm-hmm. Makes it really tough. But I think, you know, we're lucky that we have reached that stage now. We could go ahead and sign a lease um, if everything works out with the, with the terms and the landlord. So you also just mentioned like a charitable component. What is that? So I know that you have been donating profits during the summer. So is that part of the permanent business plan? Yeah, very much so. Um, we opened the restaurant obviously in in June, which was in the middle of the um, the protest, and we spent a lot of our personal time going out and protesting. And we thought, and you know, donating personal finances. We thought, what can we do to make more of an impact um, and help you know the community even more? So you know, using the restaurant as a fundraising tool was certainly one of them. I don't know whether we'll be able to donate all our profits in the future because we will have investors we have to pay back. Um, but certainly part of it, like certainly part of our revenue stream will be going towards charitable causes in the future. Very cool. And the people who have signed on are, were okay from that from the beginning. Did you have people who like have were signed on to invest prior to COVID and, you know, are still committed to the cause and everything? Yeah. But like those are very close friends and family, um, not institutional investors. So you're like, you can't take your money away from us. You are- <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, I'm not coming to yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding. That's hilarious. Um, and so has it been, how have you been meeting people during this time? I mean, it's, we're entering into a recession. It is really hard to like ask for, for money from anybody normally. And especially when the economic state of the world is so uncertain. Has it been, has it been trickier? Are you still like finding people or is it, do you feel like anything's changed there? I think now that we have such a proven concept that makes money, it's a lot easier to go to people or to like, to show people, to invite them. Now we have a space that we can invite them to and say, you know, come for a Friday night wear your mask, sit six feet apart, but just see what we've built out of nothing in a time when restaurants were closing all around us. Like that I think is what we've learned that we can, you know, Ed can light a Benchaton grill on Allen street and cook on an espresso machine. And we can serve like we, 
built our outdoor area with AstroTurf from Home Depot and, you know, dollar store flowers. And the other restaurants on our street spent months and thousands of dollars on their outdoor setups. And I think just, just that bootstrapping nature has proven, I think, to us that we can make it work. And now we're more confident to go to investors with that same spirit and confidence. Um, Someone said something very meaningful to us the other day. They, you know, they said they would, if they had $12,000, they'd give it to us. And I said, thank you. And they said, no, thank you. Like I I get to be a part of this. Um, And it's like, it's because it is still just, you know, me, P and, and Dago, it's such a small team that, Anytime someone believes in us enough to give us some of their money, it's very, it's very humbling. Um, it still doesn't feel that real, you know, like, because you know, we, we just show up to this address, we go to work every day and then go home and we've just been doing it for three months and all this stuff has come of it. And it's, we haven't really had a chance to catch our breaths yet and pause, but when we do, I think we'll, you know, be very proud of what we've done. You're about to start building a restaurant, so who knows when you'll catch your breath. Um, so speaking of that, the actual space, so I, you guys mentioned you've been you know, looking for an actual space. You're hoping to find something in the West Village that works for you guys. And I, um, I assume that you were probably already looking at spaces before COVID started, too. So I'm curious if you have seen the market change, if you've seen landlords be more willing to negotiate. Um, what's your experience been like there? Um, the market has definitely changed. Yeah. The, some of the rents are a lot lower than they were when we were looking in February, March. Um, but I wouldn't say in general, um, landlords are more willing to negotiate. I I think Ita wrote a piece about this too, which hit the nail on the head. Like there are some landlords who are very willing to negotiate. And those are the landlords of the restaurants that will get through this crisis because they have the support of, you know, the financial overlords that control everything. Um, and there are some landlords who are just completely unwilling to do anything. And maybe if, if anything, this, you know, the the market at least has allowed us to see which landlords those are. Like the ones with, you know, there are some incredibly successful restaurants, like just real role models to us that have shut during this period. And I mean, that just goes to show how unreasonable some of these landlords are because it's, I know these restaurants were doing well. Um, and, you know, if, if someone can't work with their tenant, especially a successful tenant to get them through a, you know, six month or a year long lag, then that's, it's good because it shows us at least um, that we can't work with, well, we would never be able to sign a deal with that landlord. Whereas maybe before this crisis, that was a little more obscure and all landlords sort of seen as the same. Now I think they're really, at least, I mean, we've seen maybe like 50 spaces. We're not experts on it, but. That's a lot of spaces. Well, yeah, I mean, pretty much everywhere that has a for sale sign or for rent sign in the West Village we've been into. Um, but, yeah, some landlords just, you know, it's it's just ridiculous what they're asking for. Um, it's like $500, a square foot spaces where you can get, you know, a very small number of seats for a very high rent number. Um, and, you know, we have, we're lucky we work with a good a good brokerage too who just like will show us these spaces and we'll be like, no, we'll move on to something that's, you know, human. Right. And what about in terms of like lease terms? Do you feel like you have or are in a position to ask for like 
maybe if they won't come down on price, this is a brand new talk about like, can we have longer to build it out and not pay rent? So I know a lot of landlords, I mean, we face this with some, with some of the commercial space that we've rented personally is that they have mortgage agreements with their banks. And so they have to show a certain rent roll in order for their mortgage to be in good standing. So it's unfortunately like the buck doesn't always just stop with the landlord. It's often the banks that are holding them to these like, Oh yeah, no, it's, it all goes back to the banks. It all goes back to the banks. I mean, um, but you know, that aside, I think there's other creative ways and I'm, I'm curious if some of like the other, you know, there's been other creative ways to sort of get rent down, um, more flexibility. Free rent time definitely has, that's been, people have been generously offering free rent time at the moment, I think as an incentive to juice, uh, to potential tenants to sign on to a, you know, at market rate, rent rate when they should really be asking for a significantly below market rent rate. Um, but I mean, rent abatements, if anyone's in a stage, if there's any stages of, of you know, the New York one to four stage uh, COVID shutdowns. So like percentage rent abatements on that term, like I've seen some deals. That's actually one of the deals we're looking at at the moment has, has that clause in it. So we're not on the hook if there is such a significant shutdown again. I've heard of landlords offering real percentage rent deals, um, you know, on or like percentage revenue deals, sorry, on a long-term leases i i'll believe it when i actually see it but i've, I've heard of it happening um, and they don't have personal guarantees it's like the unicorn no, I'm just kidding. Right. <laughs> um yeah i i mean i think it was true before and it's true now that it's very hard to sign a rent or to find a landlord that's perfect and to sign a really great rent deal in new york city and have you know everything go swimmingly i think it's really, really difficult. And I was talking to the, we were talking to the owner of, um, of Dante next door, uh, a week ago and asked him, well, what if we sign this deal and you know, the roof falls in on day one. Um, and he's like, it, it will, this will all go wrong. And it's, you know, your burden to bear, but you also get to run a restaurant in the greatest city in the world. So, you know, that's the cost of doing business. Um, I don't think, I think it's definitely harder now than it was like a few years ago, but I don't know. It's, I don't think it's ever going to be easy. I love that you're so romantic about it though. Um, <laughs> we've also, yeah. we've also heard just in this, like, you know, with the eater roundups of all these restaurants that are closing. And I think for us, it's been a learning, like to get to learn what the rent is on a bunch of these popular restaurants that we all know and love and have been around for a while, but to hear that they've been paying $20,000 for a, you know, 600 square foot space, we've just learned a lot of what not to do and like rent deals that we would have never signed. Um, and so I think we've become really picky in the process and we've stayed pretty stubborn with our budget. And a lot of brokers will continue to push, you know, restaurants that are double the budget that you give them. Um, and I think some people end up signing those deals because they just get tired of looking or they, um, you know, they just are like, okay, we'll raise a few hundred thousand more dollars and they say yes to these deals. And then the economy collapses and they're out of luck again, but we've really stayed true to our budget. And, um, I think that's going to pay off in the end, hopefully. Yeah. And I, yeah, I think that's definitely happens. And, um, if there's no other business like, the hospitality business where or the restaurant business where like you're 
long-term profitability and financial gain is literally tied to the physical space where it is sitting. So it, you know, like, and you only get one chance to negotiate that first lease. Um, We're trying to take it really slow. And now we're even like dragging our feet a bit because we know we, we want to open on this date. So, and we can only get X amount of free rent. So we don't want to rush into anything just because we're excited. Yeah, you're like that guy who the girl really wants to get to propose to. It's like, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, so, so are you looking at anything differently in terms of like outdoor space as well? Because now, I mean, one positive thing I think that's happened for people in New York City is that sidewalk and not just like sidewalk, but like the street cafes essentially will be permanent post all of this happening. So that's that amazing. Like, it's amazing. It's like, it's awesome. Um, but that's real revenue. So you're like, you know, I don't know if landlords have caught on to that now and are like incorporating if they have extra street frontage. tell them. <laughs> they haven't yet. I, but I'm curious, are you putting, are you thinking about like how many seats can we get outside for like, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Big time. That's, that's a huge, huge consideration now. Like six months of the year, we can double our capacity. Like our heart just breaks for, you know, restaurants like Estella that was killing it before COVID. And now, you know, they have four feet or whatever of frontage. And um, so we're very cognizant of the restaurants with, you know, a corner space that won the jackpot in the past few months um, and are going to going forward. So yes, we're definitely looking for spaces that have a good, um, you know, that the street parking that you can turn into seating and a large sidewalk. Yeah, no, it's, Definitely amazing, and I hope the landlords don't catch on to to that. Um, cool. Well, you guys have listened to the show for a long time, so is there anything um, anything you think our listeners should know as you're going through this process? I mean, Pete said it all. Like, stay true to your to your budget, and don't get too excited. You know, I she's very good at keeping me in, you know in check when I want to go do something. She's like, no, we have to. It's the amount of money we have, we have to do that. Like that's the most important thing because that's the quickest way you can you know ruin everything is by going over budget um i think we'll maintain this boot i hope and i plan to drive this home through our whole time together but just the mentality of if you can make it look nice from a dollar store versus paying thousands of dollars like Ed said it yesterday, think of a restaurant as a set, not like your home. Like think of it as you want it to look nice for the customer, but it doesn't have to be perfect if you look behind the curtain, you know, like we want to try to do everything for as, as inexpensively as possible while maintaining, you know, a good customer experience. And I want us to carry that always so that we can always maximize our profits and just on that note, there's there's a different mentality towards building restaurants in London and Paris, which is you know where I started cooking, than there is here. Like, and you know, and I'm not necessarily saying one is better or worse, but in London and Paris, the people take spaces, put a maybe a new oven in, put in fresh liquor paint on the you know ceiling, and buy some new chairs, and you know, licensing holds you up there as it does here. But beyond that, you know you do it quite quickly and turn it around and it's kind of rough around the edges, but it's, it's got that old world European charm. And at least, I mean, I've been in New York for six years now and my experience here, it's 
you know, take everything out, put everything in new, like get your new $25,000 oven and, you know, your fancy burner range. And just, if you can do it for less money, do it for less money. Cause like at the end of the day, <laughs> the service, the food, the wine list, the way you feel when you walk in the front doors, that's as much, if not way more actually dictated by the people who are serving you. Um, the people who make that experience special. Um, so yeah, build a nice set, but you're not going to live in this space forever unless you buy the the building, which God bless you if you have that much money. Um, <laughs> then call but, fame because they need investors. <laughs> <right>? <laughs> Please. Yeah, no, I mean, the, <laughs> if someone has $20 million and wants to buy the building, I, I guess. Um, but yeah, just like treat it like what it is. It's, it's a long, it's a 10 year long-term lease, but it's a lease. Mm-hmm. You don't own it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, sink your money into what matters, into the people. I agree with that too. And I mean, I think that's why cafes and restaurants in Europe are so charming. It's because, you know, they keep the old world charm. But, um, but yeah, I love, I love the story. I love the, the bootstrapping because we don't hear enough of it. And, you know, I love your grit and you guys just figuring it out. So thank you so much for sharing all that with us today. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I love to shout out opening soon announcements, as you know. So any um, friends or restaurants or anybody you guys have recently opened or will be opening soon, you want to shout out? Uh, Mm. Our friend Nora Allen just opened Mel the Bakery. She already has way too many customers than she knows (laughs) what to do with, but we're still going to shout her out because we're her biggest fans. And if you're a front of house staff member, go apply for a job there because she's hiring at the moment and she's you know, the best baker in New York. It's on the it, Lower so. East Side, Canal and Ludlow, I think. Ooh, I'll have to go check it out. I just, there's so many awesome new things right in the Lower East Side, which is yeah. like the opposite. It's so good. It's only open at the moment, Saturdays, Sundays from 8 a.m. to 3. Uh, so a little difficult to get to. Um, but she's amazing. Um, I was at Bodegon, our friend Alex's place in New Jersey. Um, when that, That'll probably be open later this year in spring. He's a really talented chef. I'm cooking the Galician food of his childhood. So that's going to be really exciting. Um, and I would just give a shout out to all of the people who have done pop-ups at Dame because uh, they're all going to be doing amazing things in the next few years. So we have a list of all of them on our website, uh, just damenewyork.com under the Sunday series and follow them because they're the rising stars of our industry. For sure. You guys had some fun people come through. Awesome. All right. Well, special thanks again, guys, um, to Patricia and Ed. Can't wait to see version 2.0 of Dame NYC in the West Village, hopefully. We will post a wrap-up of today's show on tillitnyc.com, and we also send one to your inbox, so get on our mailing list if you aren't already. Can you guys tell everyone where they can find you on social media and in real life? Dame underscore NYC is our Instagram, which we update the most often. And then our website is damenewyork.com. And currently we're operating through the end of October at 85 McDougal Street. So if you haven't been, you better run, basically. Uh, And the reason we're shutting then is because Patricia's mom is running for public office in Austin, Texas. So we're going to go support her. So if you're a registered voter in Austin, (laughs) please support Ann Howard for county commissioner. There you go. (laughs) <laughs> I love the shout out. That's amazing. And just vote in general, guys. We're three weeks from election. So vote, vote, vote. That is awesome that your mom is running for public office. 
um, and that you guys are going to support. How cool is that? Um, and reminder to our listeners that this season is all about money and finances. So slide into our DMs if you have any questions or feedback. We are all ears. And remember to follow us on Instagram at We Are Opening Soon and at Tillit NYC. Thanks, gang. Opening Soon is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter, enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org, and connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You could also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. And thanks for listening.